You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we have Misty Birch, an accomplished author and podcaster. She's a Trio Upward Bound alum, of Eastern New Mexico University. Misty's on the podcast to talk about her journey, living with cerebral palsy, and talking about her trio experience. So coming up in just a bit, Misty Birch. So this is an episode that once again features a friend of mine that uh, has gone through the trio program and we both experienced the program differently, obviously. Um, we learned a lot from it, right? Uh, but what enthralls me about Misty's journey is her ability to overcome a lot of obstacles, and you hear that in the podcast. And uh, it was such a joy just to be able to catch up and talk about her experiences since we both graduated high school and we both went to different high schools, uh, but we went to the same Upward Bound program. So it was fun catching up and seeing what she was up to now. So. Uh, Again, a a fabulous episode uh, coming up for you in just a little bit. I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario O'Reilly, and Student Access. You too can be a patron of the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Head on over to Patreon, select your patron level. Our beginning entry level patrons start at $1 a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. We also have corporate sponsorships available at $100 a month. For $100 a month, you can run your ad on this podcast. Contact us for details. You too can be featured on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Send us an email at letstalktrio, L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Or send us a direct message via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Again, a great episode with Misty Birch. I hope you all enjoy. So uh, without further delay, please enjoy this episode. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 
Trio Nation. My guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast episode is a Trio alum of the Eastern New Mexico University Upward Bound program. She is an author and a podcaster. She is a host of Mermaid on Land, a podcast that encourages dialogue and about cerebral palsy and very in a variety of other topics. Please welcome a personal friend of mine and fellow Trio Upward Bound alum, Misty Burst to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Misty, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you doing, Misty? It's been a while since we last saw each other. Yeah, it's been quite a while. I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, not too bad given the circumstances. I know that uh, this uh, experience uh, of the pandemic has affected everyone differently. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to know about you and talk to, us, uh, talk to us about your experience with the pandemic. Well, um, I think like a lot of people, I've kind of gone through like a, a, a range of emotions, like a little bit of confusion, a little bit of like shock, a little bit of um, overwhelming um, uncertainty, I suppose. And just kind of like, okay, what's going on? I am one personally that likes to hit the ground running, so to speak, and always have something going on. And I um, work from home and I also do school from home as well. So I think probably the biggest thing and the biggest way that it affected me in that regard. And in that sense is that if I wanted to go to the coffee shop or if I wanted to go to the movies, that kind of was halted a little bit. And even going yeah. to the gym, I didn't have that outlet anymore to kind of escape for an hour and a half by watching a movie or going to get a, a beverage and kind of people watch, you know, and, mm -hmm. and do homework and that sort of thing. So, my life has not really been affected so much and that I really don't go anywhere anyway, other than those three places that I mentioned. So I've been having to learn how to recalibrate and learn to adjust um, to new habits and new ways of enjoyment to get out of my head and get, you know, have a, a clearing space, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I think that's overall um, something that's greatly affected me. And also to not being able to interact with people. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a people person. Um, I love people, but then also I don't mind. I'm an introvert also, and also an extrovert too. I've always thought that I was an introvert until the pandemic happened. And I think I'm now a little bit of both because I really yeah. crave being around people, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. think uh, this pandemic has hit, people differently. And I know just like you, I always thought of myself as an introvert. I think I pretty still much, very much am, uh, but I still enjoy talking to people that, that that's the aspect of, of human connection that I've missed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, also really, it's kind of interesting to the dynamic that if you pay attention to people, you know, I like to people watch and you can see there's been a lot of, controversy in society right now right but there's also been a lot of unity as well and if you if you seek it if you see it whatever you're focusing on you're gonna see it you know you're gonna find it absolutely you know kind of thing so you have to focus on the positive and realize there is unity as well and yeah. people have really rallied and come together so absolutely so there is a part of the pandemic that has prevented us from uh doing a lot of things like going out with businesses starting to slowly opening back up, I think people are feeling confident about being out and about again. Are there places that you miss going to or th places, uh, things that you miss doing? I really miss going to Vegas. <laughs> Vegas yeah? is my, I love Vegas. I love Vegas so much. I think that 
that's it's something that I really enjoy. It's just the whole energy, the whole vibe. I miss going to Vegas so much. I've, I've tried to go to Vegas three times and I've had to cancel each time because it's just not been open or it's just not the right time or, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't feel safe and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I really feel, and I miss going to concerts too. Oh, concerts. concerts are a really big, big thing for me. I, I, you know, you've known me for, I don't even know how long for a years long time. and years. <laughs> you know that I love going to concerts. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I thrive on that energy. Yeah. So yeah. with those, uh, with, like we said earlier, like things are starting to opening, uh, opening up back up. Are you looking forward to any particular concerts that are coming up pretty soon? Well, Surprise, surprise. I'm going to go see Backstreet Boys. Again. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have seen them, I think, 27 times now. Wow. Times. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't so, get old. Yeah. So for the audience, uh, I used to tease Misty back when we were both with the trio Upward Bound at Eastern. I used to tease her about liking the Backstreet Boys. And I remember, yeah, uh, yeah that <laughs> you're such a hardcore <laughs> fan, though. You, I am. You love, you love I them. am such a hardcore fan. Uh, but I've always been a boy band fan, I think, from the time I was like nine years old. And when you, I like the new kids on the block. And that's how I got, you know, into the whole boy band thing. And then new kids on the block. Backstreet Boys are better. I okay. said it. <laughs> I said it. So anyway, <laughs> I digress. Anyway, we can move forward. But uh, yeah, I think concerts and, and Vegas are the things that I miss the most. Yeah. This yeah. That sounds like that, that traveling aspect and getting out there and, and doing that. That's what you really miss. Mm -hmm. the most. I do. I, I really do. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very self-sufficient and I'm very bold in that way. For those that don't know, I'm in a wheelchair. I have mild case of cerebral palsy. Um, and I live self-sufficiently on my, on my own, which I'm very fortunate to do so, but, but I like to challenge myself and I've gone to Vegas by myself, um, a couple of times I've gone multiple trips by myself. And that's something that I really enjoy because that's a, that's a whole other level of independence that I didn't think that I would be able to obtain, That is, amazing. but I have. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, for the audience, uh, uh, so Misty and I have known each other for a little over 20 years now, it sounds mm -hmm. like, uh, and we've, uh, got, come from the same trio upward bound program at Eastern New Mexico university. And, uh, we went uh, both to the same college and Misty was, uh, yeah, definitely one of those students that always stood out because she always, you've always displayed that independent part of yourself that you knew how to do things, where to, where to be. Uh, and to uh, always identify uh, how to advocate for yourself. So that was always very impressive. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. My, I attribute that from my mom. My mom never let me pity myself and feel sorry for myself. She was just kind of like, okay, you can do it. You know, so I kind of, I, I get that from my mom. That's awesome. So did you take some time? I know that there are people that during the pandemic and during quarantine that were privileged enough to work from home. Uh, learned a new skill. Did you take some time to, to learn a new skill or pick up a new hobby? I, you know, I started, it, this was pre pandemic, but I, I really took towards the, um, if you go on YouTube, you can find videos of acrylic pouring. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's basically acrylic paint. You pour it in a cup and then you dump it on the canvas. Oh. And there's a whole, there's a whole, 
step a whole thing that you do in order to achieve what you're trying to accomplish. Mm. But that's basically the concept of it. And it's just really fun because I cannot draw to save my life. Can't draw a straight line to save my life. <laughs> and um, I really want to do something creative. So I yeah. started to, um, I, I dealt with some personal issues a few years ago and I was really trying, I couldn't sleep. So I would just, watch youtube videos of painting because it would like mm -hmm. relax me mm -hmm. and then i was like i watched it so much so i was like all right i have to go and learn how to do this so i i did that a lot um i've also started taking on some extra classes in addition to what i'm already doing right now i'm getting my bachelor's degree in business administration right on i'm in my last semester congratulations <laughs> misty already in your last semester Yes, I, I'm ready to be done. <laughs> I've been doing school since you know me. <laughs> but right, it, it doesn't matter how long it takes you so long as you get it done, right? Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, so you did acrylic painting or, or what you said pouring uh, for... Uh, mm -hmm. Did you, is, that some, is that something that you just kept doing and, and you find therapeutic? Uh, what did you like about it? What I love about it was it was so freeing. Um, it, it is a messy hobby. So mm -hmm. if you, if, you know, you want to, I can't really do it now because I live in an apartment with white carpet before oh, yeah. I had, I had wood flooring. And so if I spill right. paint, I can just clean it up and it'd be fine. Right. Um, it's messy and it's freeing and it's, you know, it's kind of like a surprise. Um, when you, pour it on the canvas you wait for it to dry and what you see when it's wet might not be what you see when it's dry which can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing because you can yeah. get really i've learned to get, not get attached to what i see in the moment uh, because once it dries it could change you know things happen in the image and it changes and it's really really cool but um you know so i really appreciated the freedom that i got from that because with drawing freehand, there's a lot of, you know, you have to be structured. You have to know what you're doing and draw the precise lines. And whereas painting, you could just dump it and then you get this like really cool surprise. Or if you made a mistake, you could always go back and cover it over and be fine. That's true. So. Uh, it just sounds like with this uh, painting technique that you're enjoying so much that it, it's kind of almost like a, a metaphor to life, right? Like here it is, here's as is it's presented, but don't get attached to it. Because yeah. It change over time. I like yeah. that. It's a good move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you learn about yourself during quarantine or during this stay at home uh, type of event? What, what did you learn about yourself? I learned that I don't need people around me to be happy. Okay. I, 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 you know, I can be a little bit, I get so attached to people and I get, attached to ideas, not, not clingy or needy or anything like that, but I get attached to, uh, routines, if you will. Um, routines have been kind of like my, my staple uh -huh. and my, in my spiritual diet, if you will. <laughs> um, I like stability routines, bring stability and things like that. But with everything with the pandemic, it's like, you don't have that. You don't know what from the day to day and you're, you're getting, you're getting so much information thrown at you from, every different angle there's social media there's news outlets there's instagram twitter facebook all these different things and i literally kind of you know information overload it's like you don't know 
all this stuff that's being tethered together and tied together. You don't really know what's, what to believe or what not to believe. So I kind of had to just shut it off and, and, you know, and then also be more resilient and not relying on people because people are dealing with their own stuff too, you know? So you just have to kind of realize your own strength. And, and in the midst of the pandemic too, I lost my service dog that I had for 15 years. Oh no. She was, thank you. She was 18. She was a very old lady (laughs) and she had, she had hip problems and spine problems and things like that. She was my little chihuahua, but she knew that I was going to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack before I did. Mm -hmm. So she would always lay next to me and just kind of cuddle me and, you know, write it out or whatever. But when she passed away, not so long ago, about six months ago, Mm -hmm. um, well into the pandemic, I, I was just kind of lost for a minute, but it also made it forced me to kind of recalibrate mm-hmm. and go, okay, something's going on today. And I don't know what it is. Something's going on with my emotions. I have no reason to be upset, but there's something going on and I need to figure it out. So I've had, I had to kind of reestablish my way of coping. Mm-hmm. So that's made me kind of, you know, kind of adjust and, and, and pivot, if you will, for lack of a better word. Um, if you watch friends, you'll get that, you'll, you'll get that reference, <laughs> but friends is my all time favorite show. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's what I've learned is that I'm, I've underestimated myself and I'm stronger than I think I am. And I don't need to rely on people to yeah. feel confident and secure. And I don't need routine either to feel secure, um, in my surroundings either. Absolutely. So being a person with mild cerebral palsy, did you experience the quarantine differently? Uh, were there additional challenges that many of us wouldn't think about? Um, I don't think I experienced it any differently than I would have. I don't know any, I don't know anything different, right? Like I've had my disability my whole life. So I don't know what it's like to be uh, normal. Mm-hmm. I don't know any, I don't know any other word to use. So <laughs> um but I don't know what, I don't know what that's like. So I just experienced it how I experienced it. You know what I mean? Um, the one thing that I could say is just like everybody else, the lack of toilet paper on shelves was just like, (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I grew up kind of, um, we didn't have a lot of money. And there were times where we couldn't even get toilet paper. Mm-hmm. So that was like the running joke with my dad. I text my dad and I was like, well, I guess we can use newspaper. And sometimes <laughs> that was what we had to use. And it's like, oh, well, no. we prepared for this since we were younger. Right. Oh. So <laughs> it was kind of like a joke. Um, and so you, again, you just readjust and you know, you have to, I live by myself. And so sometimes I can get a little bit self-involved and I can think I'm just being honest. I can think that I'm the only one going through this and it's like, no, I'm not the only one going through this. Other people are going through this too. So I try to, in a moment when I feel like kind of concaved into my own self pity and my own, like, what was me? I have to look around me and go, wait a minute. I'm not the only one going through this. It's fine. I'm not, you know? So I think that's something to point out. Yeah. Well, you alluded to your dad and you've alluded to your mom already. So let's, let's take it all the way back. Talk to us about your origin story. Talk, talk to us about your childhood growing up. What was that like? And yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. 
Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll briefly tell you that um, I am related to Billy the Kid on my really? dad's side. Yes. My family is entirely from New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cool story. That was like my running like, hey, guys, guess who I'm related to? <laughs> it's like socially awkward as a kid, but because um, I thought it was so cool to think that I was related to a, an outlaw or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, um, my mom and my dad are from Roswell, New Mexico. And, um, you know, we moved to Midland, Texas when I was three. Mm-hmm. I was born with a mild, I was born with cerebral palsy when I was, uh, I had a heart attack when I was a baby. I was born three months early. Mm-hmm. And um, they, you know, they didn't, couldn't diagnose me until I was nine months old. My mom knew that something was wrong with me, though, mm. when she took me swimming. Like when, when you take a baby swimming at six months old, they're supposed to be limber and like, you know, whatever. But I was very stiff mm. and I was very, you know, so she knew that that was some, something was wrong. Mm-hmm. So they took me to a bunch of doctors and then they diagnosed me with cerebral palsy at nine months old. Um. And, you know, we moved to Midland, Texas, which is where I was raised yeah. up until I was about 16 years old. Um, I had a very interesting, to, to us, to me, rather, it felt stable because it was what we, that's just what we had. Um, so I had a very interesting childhood and then um, stayed in the same house until I was um, 16, about 15, 16 years old. And then we moved a lot from there. We moved back to New Mexico, which is how you met me. Yeah. 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 When, so. yeah. So when it came uh, to, to that part of your childhood, uh, what do you remember most about it? Do, do you remember the, uh, how maybe uh, growing up, how that affected you or um, how other uh, people around you, how they treated you or, Uh, how you responded to treatment. So I didn't actually realize that I was disabled or different from any of my peers until I was about 10 years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand it because I had such a normal, either again, upbringing as far as like, I would just wake up and go to physical therapy, go to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in a, a a regular classroom. I was not in special education classrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I did chores as a child. Um, I did chores just like um, my mom was like very adamant about me being as self-sufficient as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. So I did chores and things like that. I had to have my homework done and my room cleaned and everything else, just like my sister. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. And uh, I was just, I wasn't treated any differently. Um, when I would go to physical therapy, I would be around kids that also had uh, limitations or disabilities um, like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would go to a classroom and I would be around kids that were, they didn't have disabilities. Yeah. So I had a well-rounded perspective of what that was like. I, but it was also different because I felt like I had to be two different people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it took me a really long time to realize that I don't need to be anybody, but, me and you know they always say don't be anybody but be yourself and it's like they tell you that when you don't really know who you are and it's like well i don't know who i am and you know so you spend the majority of your adult life trying to figure that out 
<laughs> yeah. So um, I think I, it was a very unique experience because I was very lucky in that I got to go to horseback riding on Fridays and I did swimming lessons on Thursdays and then I had dance class on Wednesdays and that was all integrated with my physical and occupational therapy. So um, that was very cool. And yeah. then in the summer from the time I was nine until I was 16, um, I went to a, a camp called Texas Lions Camp. Mm-hmm. and that changed my life yeah that that changed my life i love that place that place is like my disney <laughs> that place is like <laughs> that it has a special place in my heart for sure um that it, it's a disabilities camp it's for adaptive uh they they do all these camper activities and they adapt it to the abilities that people may or may not have yeah yeah that, that's so, amazing yeah. yeah certainly amazing uh what about education? When it came to education, were you immediately drawn to it or was it something that caused some frustrations? It, it sounded like for you, education was just something that you were, yeah, you, that you liked. I loved school. I, I English and writing have, has always been a favorite of mine. Um, from, since I was little, My, um, you know, I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit just because sure. I want to share, I want to share a story, but then I'll go back to your question. Um, I was probably about 13 years old and I was kind of digging and I was being nosy and I was digging into the linen, linen closet that we had. And I found this folder of my aunt Debbie, my aunt Debbie passed away when she was 19. She had a brain tumor. Um, I never really got to know her. I don't, I, I know I met her when I was like a itty bitty baby, but I don't, I've never really, you know, but she wrote a lot. She wrote a lot of really cool stories. Oh wow! And I loved them. I sat there and read them for hours, mm-hmm. it, and I just and I fell in love with writing. So that's kind of to go back to the the to the school aspect of it. Math is my worst subject. I hate math, but English and art and literature, all those things. Yeah, I love it. We're so as, as far as like my my elementary school, elementary school, I remember it being as more of a lot of physical and occupational therapy, mm. you know, that was kind of like, um, and, um, do you want me to talk about all areas or do you want me to just the areas you feel comfortable about or whatever you want to share? Sure. Okay. So I'll, I'll just kind of my, in my elementary, in my middle school, middle school, I was really awkward, but who isn't really like, you know, we're all trying to, we're all like going through our little, <laughs> phase right and it's awkward you know you don't really know and i had i i really was fortunate because i did band and choir Mm because i couldn't i couldn't do physical education because of cp um but it was really cool because i remember thinking like do i pick choir do i pick band i don't know and then i didn't have to choose you know it was really cool it was like a double portion so i really enjoyed singing um singing is my favorite i still love singing even if i'm terrible at it um and i played the baritone can you believe that what well, i didn't I know the, that about you you played I, the baritone i played the baritone and it was so funny because it covered my whole body like in school pictures <laughs> oh, really? you, couldn't, you couldn't see me yeah you couldn't see me you could just see the baritone and then legs like you couldn't see anything else yeah and then um in my junior high i played in my i mean in my freshman year <clears throat> excuse me i played um the trumpet uh-huh uh-huh. All I wanted to learn to play was the Star Spangled Banner. 
I didn't care about any other song. I just want to learn to play Star Spangled Banner. You, and so I was really obnoxious. Like the, the band teacher would send our, us home with our material to study. Mm-hmm. And I was just like practicing the Star Spangled Banner in my room. Anyway. <laughs> so so um, I think from that perspective, I had a really great uh, experience with middle, with uh, elementary and middle school. Mm-hmm. High school was where it kind of got a little rough. Um, yeah. We moved from Midland, Texas, in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Yes, we didn't. We had. It was a special circumstance. Mm. We um, we moved it from home because there was something that that happened in our family, and we had to leave. Oh. So we went through a period of homelessness. Mm. Um, we were homeless for about four months and we, we lived at Bermuda lakes, or, but not Bermuda, Bonita lakes, Bonita lakes, I mm-hmm. think it's called, yeah. um, for four months. And, and it was really a rough time. And I think that was right around the time that I started. I was at that time I was going, I was at Capitan elementary or not elementary high school, Capitan high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember I loved it so much because they had a Taco Bell. <laughs> like they have a Taco Bell. <laughs> like that's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, nobody really knew that. We we um uh, stayed at KOA campgrounds and we showered and we did our laundry at laundromat and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah there was a time where we, we it was just really rough. And then um I started going to Hondo Valley School. Yeah. And I love that even more because we didn't have school on Fridays. It's like, mm-hmm. mom, we only have school on Monday through Thursday. And, you know, I was really excited about that three day weekend kind of thing. And then that's how I found out about Upward Bound is through Hondo, New Mexico, Hondo, Hondo Valley Schools. Yeah. So I was just about to ask you about how did you learn about the Trio Upward Bound program at ENMU? Uh, tell us about that process. Like, how did you find out about it? Were you recruited? Were you identified? Uh, yeah. What, what was that process uh, like and how did you get in? Okay. So it's been a while, so I don't want to misquote, but I think memory serves me that Doris came to our school and kind of, you know, did like a, a pep talk or a speech or something about the program. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. And I, and at that time I was kind of like in a situation in my, in my home environment where I was like any opportunity that I can go and learn and and, and engulf my energy into learning and, and being away from my home situation, I'm all for it. And then of course, you know, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but the, the stipend. Oh yeah. You're you're allowed to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the stipend that we received was often like, it was like, okay, cool. Sign me up. I'm going to get paid to go to school. Yeah. But um, that was also kind of like a nice little incentive. But then sometimes that helped us feed our family, you know, yeah. you know, sometimes we didn't have money to eat on. And so I was like, well, oh, you know, I have this, let me, you know, give you this. And again, I'm just being completely transparent and honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, it was really great to have that experience too. I loved it. Yeah. So I know that we, we jumped right into your 
uh, from your high school experience to uh, Trio Upward Bound, uh, I really wanted to dive into a little bit more about your time in Hondo uh, because, you know, your high school for everybody is intimidating. It can be intimidating uh, or they kind of go into it with like this cool demeanor for you. What was high school like? So um, to answer that question, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back a little bit and I'm going to go back to Midland, Texas. So Midland, Texas, their school districts are are packed and it's 1500 students, 1800 students per school. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes because my wheelchair was kind of bulky and big, I would just kind of shuffle in in the back and I would leave first before so I could get in and out easily. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I was my education. I was just kind of lazy and that I didn't really focus and I didn't really think that anybody cared whether I passed or failed because mm-hmm. I was just kind of pat. You know what I mean? Like I was just kind of in the back and not really given the attention that I needed as far as my education went because there was so many students, right? There's one teacher and then there's like 34 students per classroom. Uh, so when I moved to Hondo, that was such a, a refresher because five students in the entire, like there was 136 students from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade in Hondo. Yeah. So I was, you know, we had five students per grade at the time. And it's like, wow, I, I can get one-on-one attention from the teachers. And my, I went from a average grade Mm-hmm. you know, GPA to an exceptional uh, 3.5 GPA because I had the one-on-one uh, structure. That's amazing. You know? yeah. And I, and I had more accountability as well. Right. So definitely it was a blessing in disguise to move to a smaller school. Absolutely. Uh, for you uh, being in a smaller school, did, did you, I guess, did you notice the type of uh, academic difference it made for you? Like, do you know that suddenly you were absorbing educational material a whole lot more with that individualized attention? Yes. It made me want to learn. It made me want to try because I had accountability and I also had teachers say, okay, come on. Like, you know, this, you know, you can try, you can still, you can study, you you know, this We, I, you know, you can do better kind of thing as opposed to just being brushed aside and like just looked at as another shell of a face. Right. Um, And I really appreciated that, that, um, that tenacious spirit that the teachers gave in that environment. Um, and it made me like school even more. And it went from being, I, it went from, I learned to like school from a perspective of, I want to learn more. And I think I want to get excited about learning as opposed to letting that be an escape. Mm -hmm. Like I want to get away from my home life or I want to go do this. And so I'm going to go here and and engulf all of my energy into learning something. rather than I just want to do better in my education. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So with Trio Upward Bound now kind of in your life and you've been enrolled in it, um, tell us about that experience. What what was that like for you and uh, what did you learn most about it? I think the most that I, I, I loved the, the dorm experience. I also you know, there's a lot of things that I really enjoyed. I love the field trips that we went on. Yeah. I loved the, I, you know, I love the, um, community. We had a lot of people that were within our community and it brought people from all over different regions of New Mexico, Rodoso, 
Portalis, Clovis, um, Hondo, et cetera. And there's a lot of people, even including you, uh, yeah. that I wouldn't have known otherwise, you know? And I really liked the diversive culture mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, my family's from New Mexico. Um, and that's something about Hondo that I really like as well. I know I'm kind of going off the path a little bit. No, no, you're okay. You're good. But I really love the, the Hispanic culture that Hondo Valley schools taught me because I went from rodeos. I, I rode horses my whole life mm-hmm. and, you know, lived out in the country in Texas and I wasn't really around a diverse group of people. So I really appreciate being able to learn more about that culture. Right on. Too. So it sounds like that really intrigued you or, or really uh, what you really like most about being involved in not just trio, but involved in your high school is uh, you, you really got to see a yes. diverse lens. Yeah. Yes. And then also being in the dorms too with upward bound allowed me to get a pre a pre-show if you will advanced screening of college life <laughs> like this is what college life is like and i'm like this right. is so cool right so right. um i it was i love that that was really cool i missed that so much i really do i wish i could go back in time sometimes and just relive those moments yeah yeah uh when you're when you were talking about the uh, a trio per round experience at Eastern, I, I always remember the dorm part of the life, right? Uh, how we got that preview and that taste of what it like, what's like, what it's like to be in the dorms. Mm-hmm. Um, for you being in trio per bound, what did upward bound teach you about yourself? Oh man, um, I think from the time I was a little. And all the way up until that point, I had this idea of myself mm-hmm. and I remember having a, a come to Jesus moment one day where I was like, this is, I'm not a little girl anymore mm-hmm. and I have to take accountability for what I do or don't learn. Mm-hmm. Like people are not going to hold my hand along the way and tell me that do this and do that and do that. I have to go after it and I have to do it. I have to want it. And it has to be a tangible experience for me. I will get out whatever I put into it. Yeah. So I can't really tell you definitively when that day was, but I just remember being like, I'm tired of doing enough to get by. I'm tired of coasting and I want more from my life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go after it. Like this is, I want to do anything and everything I can to succeed. And I think that that was, I remember that being a defining moment for me. Um, and I think that that had to do with a lot of the people that I was around and also the educators and the people, the directors of Upward Bound that were kind of like championing everyone along all at the same pace, all at the same volume, all at the same rhythm, didn't treat everybody, didn't treat one person any different than the other. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'm not here by accident. I'm here because they believe in me enough to have me here. Right. So right. it was just one of those moments where I was just kind of like sick and tired of being sick and tired and, <laughs> and just paying attention and going, I don't want to be, I want, I want to get the most out of my life. Absolutely. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So what a, what a great revolution. So uh, right here, Misty, we're going to take a quick uh, two minute break. Uh, we'll be right back with Misty Birch an accomplished author and podcaster. Uh, and we'll hear more from her here in just a bit. with Misty Birch, accomplished author and podcaster. And we're talking about her experience in Trio right now. Uh, we're uh, kind of in the middle of that Trio Upward Bound experience that she experienced at Eastern New Mexico University. And Misty, we've been so fortunate so far to hear about what's uh, your reflection on life and your journey thus far. Um, so I want to ask you now, kind of what stands out when you think about Trio Upward Bound? What is your favorite memory from that? And, and what sticks out mostly in your mind? I I can't tell you a specific memory because it's been so long. <laughs> but I, 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 it's been a. I mean, I'm aging myself, right? Like I, I can't remember. <laughs> but I think I, I remember we we had like, I think it was a particular day where we went on like a field trip, mm-hmm. or we did some kind of out, outdoor kind of competition. And there was a bunch of games and things like that. Oh, I yeah. think weren't we at one point? Now correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't we at one point shoving uh, marshmallows in our mouth? Yeah, we were doing a chubby bunny. I think that's what that the game was uh, called. <laughs> for the longest time, I could not eat marshmallows after that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Couldn't do it. <laughs> you were just disgusted with marshmallows. It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'll spare the details, but yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty brutal. So, but, um, I think really, uh, just anything that I, any opportunity that we had to go on, on road trips and go, I remember something actually, and you oh, yeah. may remember this as well. You're pretty sure. you remember we were on the highway and our tire blew out. I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And we, it was like, we were, it was scary because we were going like 65 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, whoever was driving, thank mm. goodness they knew what to do because we could have easily flipped. It was a 15 car. It was a 15 passenger van. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was the right tire, I believe. Right. Or, I don't know. It was one of the front tires. 
And whoever was driving did a really miraculous job and not wrecking us and flipping the car. Yeah. So I remember that yeah. very well. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think and, and, and as a whole, I think if I were, if I were to wrap it all in a bow and gift it, I would just say the immersive experience and the, and the education that I, that I got just by being around people mm -hmm. that were smarter than me and wanting to know and wanting to grow and wanting to evolve and, and challenge myself to be better and do better because they were, mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most, um, there we go. I'm trying to turn a light on so you can see me. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably the most thing that I I've learned. It's like, um, I love my family and I love my parents and I am very fortunate that I have the upbringing that I do, mm -hmm. but, um, I also really enjoy being around other people that know. And I, I want to, you know, kind of shadow people and go, I want to be like them. Yeah. You right. know, cause yeah. So. Absolutely. So talk, talk to us about, uh, the, the moment where you started deciding about what college you want to go to, because for many high schoolers uh, and many high school seniors, co college is a very scary thought. What was your thought process and what co colleges at this point did you start considering? I really, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a long time. I wanted to be a lawyer, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not very good at debating. So that didn't work. Um, I wanted, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of, you know, from the time I was five years old, I thought about being either a music producer or a lawyer or, you know, something in that regard, but I really didn't have a, a strong concept of the direction in which I wanted to go. So I just kind of applied to a bunch of colleges. I applied to new, new Mexico state university out of Las Cruces. I got accepted there. Mm. Um, and then I applied to Eastern New Mexico University and I chose to stay with Eastern New Mexico University because I had already been there before with mm. the college experience. And I kind of knew the campus really well and it was comfortable and it was kind of a smaller university and it didn't seem so overwhelming. Mm. Um, and I really liked the environment there. So I stayed there for about a year and a half. Yeah. I do remember you being at Eastern for that year and a half. Um, yeah. And I've always wondered what, uh, and, and we'll get to this later, but uh, you, you stayed at, at Eastern for a year and a half. And then from there uh, you started doing other things. Um, I think that's when your, your passion for music and for production uh, that really started to flourish or started to, to come out. That, that's what I vaguely remember, but uh, yeah, sorry. Were you going to say something? No, you're okay. I, okay. So I kind of went for a while. I kind of splintered off into like just trying to figure out who I was and who I wanted to be. And so I left ENMU and I went to North Carolina oh, yeah. where my family, we moved to North Carolina, which is quite the switch from New Mexico. Oh, um, and then I, I tried my hand at real estate school and I wasn't too, I wasn't too good. At, like I said earlier, I don't like math and it doesn't like me back. Um, so that, that didn't work out. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, was kind of soul searching for a while and figuring out what I wanted to do. And then 
fast forward a couple of years, I did um, youth with a mission, which is a missionary training school. Mm-hmm. I went to Tyler, Texas, and I did that for a while. Um, and then I moved to Colorado for a little bit. And then I moved to LA, which is where oh. I went and got my, that's where I got my music. My, uh, audio engineering degree is in LA. Wow. Wow. So you really done a lot in the span of, uh, the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, you've got to experience a lot. So yeah, we'll definitely get to that here in just a moment, but to wrap yeah. up the questions about Eastern and, and your experience, um, I do remember that our cohort, uh, so we, you're, you were in the same uh, graduate year that we were, right? 2002? Okay. Yes. So I remember that our cohort transitioned right into college with some of us branching out to other colleges, but many of us staying at Eastern. Uh, talk to us about your summer bridge experience and what was that like? I want to say it was unique. It was very immersive. It made me even gravitate to, you know, trying to figure out, okay, this is, maybe this is what I want to do. I think that at that time too, like I mentioned before, when I was five years old and up, I wanted to be a music producer, but I didn't understand that in order to be a music producer, you had to produce. And I didn't read music very well. And I didn't know how to play instruments very well, you know? So I mean, I, you have, you know, you have to be able to do all that if you want to produce. Right. So I, I, so I kind of shifted a little bit and I changed my major to business, business administration with a minor in music. Mm-hmm. Instead of instead of music being my major. So um, back to the question. OK, so the bridge program was, you know, if you could refresh my memory a little bit, if I can remember correctly, we did. We had um, it was right in the middle of before graduation, correct? It was, it was uh, right after graduation. We did the, we did the summer program for eight weeks during the summer. That's, and that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. And I remember. um I'm going to be bold and I'm going to speak out on something. (laughs) This is something that I, that I talk about often, actually. Um, I remember we had a teacher and I don't remember his name offhand. And even if I did, I wouldn't say it, Mm -hmm. but uh, he had, he had divided us up into four groups of four. Mm -hmm. And I was the only white girl with three African-American men and he wanted me to write a paper about um being pro uh profiling oh and i was very adamant about the fact that i was not pro profiling and i thought that was wrong and i refused Mm -hmm. and he told me that he was going to give me an f and i was like all right so i went to the dean and i spoke to doris and i spoke to a few other people and they really advocated for me Um, and it was fine and it worked out, but I think that that was probably one of the moments too, where I learned that I could stand up for myself and say, no, I'm not going to do this. And it worked out. Mm -hmm. So I think that gave me kind of a confidence of like, Hey, speak up for myself. I'm not going to do this. This It's not okay. Um, and that was kind of a a power move for me, you know, in that moment, like, Hey, I can speak up and it's, you know, it's fine. It's going to work out. Um, you know, and I think it's also really um, important to know when it, it's important to always speak up and always say the right things and stand up for what you believe in, regardless if you think you're wrong or not. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you think that if you're passionate about something and you think it's wrong, then it's wrong. Absolutely. Period. Because your your feelings are valid. So 
I think that was a power move for me. But overall, that whole experience just made me um, more excited to, I wanted to learn every single subject in the catalog. Yeah. Honestly, I wanted to know it all. I wanted to immerse myself into every, every bit of it. Um, and I remember at one point I became so um, attached to the idea of just knowing more things because I was kind of a socially awkward child and I kind of sat in front of a computer the majority of my life, um, whether it be during physical therapy or just being in front of a computer during my high school days. And, you know, that's when chat rooms and internet world wide web and all that kind of stuff was kind of there. And I was really socially awkward. So that kind of made me step out of my comfort zone and just, I really wanted to know how to talk to people. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that if I learned more topics than I would, I would know what to say and what people were talking about because at that time, all I knew was my family history and uh, tragedy and drama and, yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, I just, I wasn't emotionally healthy at that time either. Mm. I didn't really have a, a good concept of, okay, you know, Misty, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you today. You're fine. Like, mm. okay. As opposed to, um, okay, something's going on and I don't know what it is, but it's important and I need to figure it out. I didn't have that concept growing up. So I spent the majority of my uh, college and further adult years trying to figure that out and, yeah. and how to be emotionally mature and healthy. Mm. So that's a wonderful reflection, Misty. I think that uh, for a lot of us that struggle with that concept of like, what do we want to do? What do we want to be? Uh, can often be very frustrating, right? Because we get lost in the woods or we're kind of in the thick yeah. and we got, we lose ourselves in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. But I did want to ask you about uh, your life post-college. Um, I recall sharing that you wrote a book and we mm -hmm. actually talked about it a little bit, quite a bit before the podcast um, and that you've done several amazing things. Yes, I am. I right now um, I'm writing. I'm writing my second book, but my first book is called "On the Wings of Triumph," and it chronicles my life history. And um, I talk about my faith. I have a very strong faith. I'm a Christian, and um, I talk about you know overcoming the victim mentality that you have with you know family history and also um, having a disability. I, when I went through Youth with a Mission, I wrote a lot. I was gifted a journal while I was in school for my, my birthday. And I used that journal as a cathartic moment to write about things that I needed to get off my chest. But also, I wrote letters to myself and to my family, but it was only for me to read. And I still have that book now um, that I wrote in. But it kind of was like the cat, it was the catapult in the backbone, really, for me to write the book. And I know for a long time, my mom had kept telling me, you know, um, you need to write a book. And I was very adamant about like, no, I don't really want to write a book. Um, yeah. But we have such a unique story and it needed to be told. And it, the, it wasn't to be written so that people could feel sorry for me or so that people could feel sorry for my family or you know, for any other purpose other than to help people. Mm -hmm. So 
um, that's my mission and my goal and, and that story and ta- talking about my background and my upbringing and the things that I learned through all of those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I, I, after I graduated from, I went to, um, the Los Angeles film school mm-hmm. and I got my degree in audio engineering. And then right after that is when I wrote my book and it, I was writing my book on and off while I was in school. And it took me about five years to write it because I just didn't want to. I didn't want to relive certain moments. I didn't want to relive certain um, things about my childhood. But also, I didn't want to look in the mirror and say, you know, this is my doing, not anyone else's, you know. But there's there's a level of of accountability that you have to come to when you're writing a book about something. It's basically you're looking in the mirror at the entire time. You know, you're being very honest and vulnerable and sharing your life story. And then you're also saying, here's, here's my most private moments. I hope you like reading my, this is my, my diary. Here you go. Hope you like it. <laughs> um, so it's a very vulnerable. It's, it's very much like operation, right? Like the little toy that you, <laughs> and you just hit the right moment. And it's like ah, very jarring, but yeah. um, yes, I wrote, I wrote that book and it was published in 2015. Wow. Wow. So from what I understand of the publishing process and, and the entire writing process, this, this must have taken you quite a bit of time. Uh, you've already talked several things and themes about your book. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about what you discussed in the book and what was covered that you, that, you know, you felt like the need to share with an audience? Well, I will say that um, my dad and I are very close now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a time in my life where we were not close and we didn't speak. Um, I'll just tell you kind of the reason that we left Midland so abruptly is because my dad had committed a felony and he was wanted by the law. And because my sister and I were, were both minors, mm-hmm. we went on the run with my parents, with them. So we, I, I talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. but, and I talk about all those different experiences and how I came to know um, my faith in Jesus mm-hmm. and through all of that process. And when I was going through YWAM and, and learning about Jesus, Youth with a Mission is a missionary organization and it's faith, it's faith based and, you know, it's missionary based and things like that. Um, but during all of my time going to that school, I, my eyes were opened to a lot of things. It was kind of like I looked around the classroom and I saw 50 something students around the room. And it was like, I am not the only one that has gone through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was like, wait, I need to stop having a pity party. Like this is, you know, and so I kind of brushed up on that, but I also talked about how, um, cerebral palsy and like the things that I've learned through that, but, knowing that, um, you know, I really kind of lost myself for a really long time because I, my only, uh, my only, um, motivation for a time was to prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, when you don't have anybody to prove wrong and that's your identity, it's like, you kind of get lost in your, I couldn't get out of bed for a time because I was so depressed because it's like, well, I don't have anybody to prove wrong anymore. Yeah. 
you know, and then it was like, no, but now I need to prove myself right. I can do this and I can do that and I can go here. And, you know, there's nothing stopping me but me. And so I briefly talk, I, I briefly talk about, you know, in chronological order, I talk about all of those experiences with going on the run from the law, from some things that my mom and my mom and my dad went through and my sister and I went through. And I talk about all of those experiences, but then I tie it all in together with my faith and how God, you know, really showed up and told me, I remember one time, um, I, my dad was telling me something. He was like, I have a dream about this and I want to do this, this, and this. And I was just kind of negative about it. Mm. And I kind of internalized it like, Ooh, whatever. I'm like, okay. But then I really literally felt very convicted about that. Like, that's really, he has dreams too. Like he can have dreams too, you know, just because his dreams are not as big and, and, and bold and, you know, like I'm going to go here and do all these things and I'm going to do, you know, yeah. his dream, his dreams are very simple and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with them, but I felt very bad and I felt very convicted about the, the lack of excitement for him, you know? And, um, and I, you know, I kind of, I talk on all those topics and I talk about forgiveness and grace and mercy and, and, and not being a victim through your circumstances. Absolutely. So Misty, your journey is certainly something to be admired. Do you host a lot of discussions around dysfunctional families and maybe presentations about cerebral palsy? Do you, do you have a lot of discussions around that? I host a podcast um, called mermaid on land and mermaid mermaid on land was derived from me making fun of myself <laughs> i said <laughs> i i'm a mermaid on land because my legs don't work on land but they work in water because i can swim really well so i'm like okay mermaid on land yeah, um, cool. so yeah. that's kind of where that came from and and you know there's some more things in the works over the next few months regarding a, an apparel line mm-hmm. um called mermaid on land I've been working on that for several months as well. Um, But I, but on my podcast, I interview various people uh, with different types of disabilities, whether it be cerebral palsy, spina bifida, visual impairment, or hearing impairment, um, and any kind of, you know, degree of disability um, to kind of get their stories and to give them a platform and a voice to be able to share, you know, their, their grievances or their, frustrations or the things that they wish people knew about them or their dreams or goals or, you know, because society often has the stigma with people with disabilities. And I'm guilty, I'm guilty of it too, just as much as anyone can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember back in Eastern New Mexico university, I went to an ice cream social <laughs> and yeah. I was sitting there having my ice cream and this girl came up to me and she was like, hi, like talking to me. Like I, and she's like, how are you? You know, very animated and very like yeah. high pitched. And I was just like, hi. And yeah. I, and I proceeded to tell her my business, I'm majoring in business, minoring in music and blah, blah, blah. And then she just kind of looked embarrassed like, Oh, she's not, you know, she's not, um, slow mm-hmm. um but you know she she's quote unquote normal like mm-hmm. everybody else and she kind of felt embarrassed and that's always stuck out in my mind 
because I too am, uh, like I mentioned, I'm a little bit guilty of this too. I can see somebody in a wheelchair and assume that they might have some other challenges beyond that, you know? So I want to break that stigma and I want to give people the opportunity to share their, their business ideas, their goals, their, you know, the things that they struggle with and the things that they've learned about themselves to kind of create a dialogue. That's amazing. So this podcast really is not just about one specific disability. It's about you, you encompass a variety of discussions. Yes. Um, I interviewed someone recently actually who works for the, um, North Carolina school district mm-hmm. and she works for advocating children with special abilities yeah. as she calls it. And she advocates for people in the school district. And um, so I interviewed her briefly about that and the podcast will be up next week. Right on. Where can uh, listeners find your podcast? My podcast is on iTunes and on Spotify, as well as on Anchor and a plethora of other platforms. It's just called Mermaid on Land, and it's all one word. Fantastic. Uh, and with with this podcast, so uh, Misty and I, uh, this is how we kind of connected. I didn't realize that you had a podcast, and I reached out to you. I was like, wow, you have a podcast. That's awesome. Do you want to be on my podcast uh, yeah. to talk about your experiences? So this was an amazing way for us to connect. Um, yep. Now, with, with the podcast, with the apparel line that you have uh, potentially coming up and the variety of things that you advocate for, um, as a person living with cerebral palsy, what is something you want the audience to know about you? I think... Um, That's a very deep question. I think I would want people to know that I'm just like everybody else. Mm. And I think everybody with a a disability can speak to that uh, level of, of desire. Um, And I, you know, I, I have to say something about that too, because I'm, I'm so fortunate because I have so many great friends who are able bodied friends and they don't treat me any differently. Mm-hmm. They, they really don't. I don't have any uh, issues with that at all, really. I'm very fortunate in that way. But when it comes to um, places like hotels or restaurants, uh, not so much restaurants, but maybe when I travel some and I have my friends with me, I think they assume that whoever is pushing my chair or helping me is my aid and so they'll talk to my my friend but they won't talk to me even with the reservation being my name is on the reservation so they'll like you can tell her to sign this and i'm like no you can talk to me like you know i think that's probably one of the biggest issues that i have but um in a a really briefly i just want to kind of jump in a little bit and there's another project and in addition to everything else that i'm doing but i'm working on a mobile app idea Um, that's been in the works for eight years and it's for, um, cities, um, people that wheelchair pedestrians and and others that are in, and you know, there's plenty of people that will be using the application. It's in prototype phase now. Oh, nice. And it's, it's designed to raise awareness to accessibility issues in cities. Right on. So that's something I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have the disability that I do. There are people that have 
severest cases of cerebral palsy and they can't walk or talk or think or they're in kind of in a vegetative state. Mm. I have a very mild case. Um, you know, I'm able to speak up and I'm able to be a voice and I'm able to see where things need to be changed and, and implement that. And I'm really passionate about that kind of thing. Um, I will say that one thing that I've learned from the time I was very little is to figure out a way if I can't do it this way, then how can I do it? Because not everybody is going to be there for me to help me do this or this or this. So I've got to figure it out. And so that's really made me be inventive Absolutely. and like, and you know, and no pun intended, but think on my toes and try to figure it out. (laughs) You know, Um, I'll, I'll never take that for granted. You know, I have this amazing opportunity to, okay, find a problem and, and figure out a solution for it. I'm addicted to that. I love it. I want to be able to figure out a solution for this and this and this. And then I love to turn it into business ideas, Yeah. you know, and, and kind of just, and, and, and capitalize on that in a way, but, and at the same time, be able to turn it into a social enterprise and, and to help people and how can it help everybody? You know, well, the, one of the biggest flaws that I have is that people ask me, okay, what's your target, mo- what's your target audience? Mm-hmm. And I say, everybody, <laughs> I want to help everybody, but you really can't do that in a business sense. You have to narrow it down in order to have a, a return on investment and to order, you know, to have a strategy and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I kind of went off the beaten path there, but I just wanted to share that. That's something you asked me at earlier, what I learned about myself and it just dawned on me that that's something that I'm really proud of. I don't look at my disability as something that is a, a hindrance anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing because I have all these different things. I have the podcast, I have the app, I have the clothing brand. I have the books that I'm, the book that I'm currently writing now and the one that I've written before and it mm-hmm. all centers, you know, I've made it into something that is into a positive thing, you know, that can help everybody in some sort of fashion. And I'm so fortunate to be able to carry that. Absolutely. Which is a great segue to this next question. What is some advice you would like to give to students listening to this podcast? I, (coughs) excuse me. I would say learn anything and everything you can about yourself take some time to get away and be by yourself and learn to like being by yourself, learn to love your own company. Um, and I, the reason why I say it that way is because if you spend so much of your time trying to impress other people, trying to figure out who you want to be and trying to figure out like, you know, you, if you, if you spend so much time trying to be around all your peers and mm-hmm. being, giving into peer pressure and doing all the, the things you're going to waste that energy and that time and that resource that you could have investing in yourself and in your future and just, you know, take this opportunity to learn anything and everything you can, because this time it really is a gift. That's why it's called the present as cheesy as that sounds, Very good. but it's so important to take every single moment, every single breadcrumb that you receive and, and, and taste it and absorb it and really pay attention to what's around you 
um, to, I kind of, I wish I would have really absorbed a lot more than I did because I really was just kind of in a haze at that time in my life. And I wasn't really present for a lot of that. Um, so I would just say to really, you know, trudge along and, uh, I shared really quickly. I'll, I'll wrap it up. I promise. Oh, no, you're earlier, fine. Yeah. earlier on my social media page, I shared a video mm-hmm. about going forward and you know when you're going forward and you're on a mission you've got tunnel vision and you're so focused on the tunnel vision you're going and going and going and that's not necessarily bad but don't forget to look at the peripheral vision Mm. right because there's things going on that you're not really paying attention to and you're not really seeing because you're so focused and you're so laser focused which is not necessarily a bad thing but you have to pay attention to what's going on around you too in and around and through you right because if you're not what you're not self-aware you're going to make, you're going to unintentionally make mistakes that you're not even aware of because you're so focused on, on that thing. So, and it's also not necessarily bad to look back either. They always say, don't look back now. You know, it's good to do that because then you can see how far you've come mm-hmm. and then you can use that as a motivator or it, whether it be, okay, great job. You're doing a great job. Pat yourself on the back or, Oh my gosh, I really need to get my stuff together. Mm-hmm. right like it's it, it's it's all in how your perspective and how you look at it but i would just really you know say to just keep trucking along and keep focusing on their goal and don't give into the peer pressure and um take each moment as a gift that's awesome any particular trail staff members that you would like to recognize are that are current or former I don't know if Doris is still a current one, but yes, I love her. And I, I often think about her and I think she's such an advocate and she was kind of like a, a mom to all of us. Right. You know, like I just really, she, her mentorship was, was, um, I've, I've thought about her often and I've, I really thought about her wisdom and insight that she'd always give. So yes. All right. That so for the great. audience that it, that's uh, Doris and I uh, over at Eastern New Mexico University, Doris, if you're listening, uh, Misty sending a huge, huge shout out. Yes. Hi. <laughs> so Misty, what is next for you? You've accomplished so much already. I'm sure the audience wants to know what is coming up. Um, well, I'm hoping to have the prototype for the application out in mid well april's almost over uh probably in may is when it will be out um and then i graduate my bachelor's degree in may as well congratulations by the way thank you so much and then um you know i'm i'm writing my second book and and this one's a little bit different than the last one it's not going to be based on a uh my life but um i'm and then you know potentially the clothing line that that excuse me that i'm currently putting together as well so mm-hmm. i have a lot going on i like you know I'm, I'm hoping to have some more podcast episodes up there'll be some more episodes coming up in the future um you know i'm just constantly going and doing something and i'm sure that there'll be other things i'm thinking about designing wheelchair gloves Ooh, that's but we'll see right now I have my plate is completely packed full right yeah. now. So 
that'll have to wait for a minute. But, um, <laughs> but you know, there, and who knows? There's all kinds of business ideas and things in the forefront that I'm, I'm constantly thinking of. And ideally, I would like to land a, um, a really good salary paying position after I get my business um, bachelor's degree, because while I have all of this going on, none of it's bringing any income at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm an intern <laughs> for my, everything that I've got going on. Um, so yeah, I I think I think you know I think the door is wide open and I'm open to anything that happens. But that's kind of what I have on my plate at the moment. Right on. Well, Misty, you've been a wonderful guest on the podcast. It's such an honor to talk to you and to catch up. Uh, we must do this again, again in in the future. Yes. Um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys so much. Um, I forgot the outro. I was just about to ask you, can you do this with the, the honor in signing off? Yes. Thank you so much for having me guys and listen to the uh, podcast uh, trio. Thank you, Juan. Absolutely. Misty. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You have a good day. You too. Bye. All right, Misty. And we are... Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. What a great episode with Misty Birch. An accomplished author and podcaster. Misty, thank you so much for sharing your trio journey with us. And best of luck to you as you seek to complete your bachelor's degree. Remember, you too can be featured on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Send us an email at Let's Talk Trio, L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Or you can direct message us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for our handle it's let's talk trio again a huge thanks to our sponsors angelica Villalpando, rosario o'reilly and student access thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast you too can be a sponsor of the podcast go to patreon look under let's talk trio you can enter your patron level at the beginning level at a dollar a month we have different tiers Uh, And each tier has different rewards and perks. If you are a company or would like to advertise on the podcast, we do have a corporate sponsorship available. For $100 a month, you can run your ad on this podcast. Please contact us for details. I want to recognize the honorary members of Let's Talk Trio, Scott Kendall, Roderick Chambers, and Tony Ho. The production team of Let's Talk Trio is... John Russell, editor, music producer, and tech advisor. Amelia Castañeda, marketing manager, social media manager, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.